I'm delighted first and foremost to see so many children here today, which is the indicator that a community is growing and alive and vibrant, and we give thanks to God for that. And to all of you, of course, who have brought them here this morning. For those who may have not heard the gospel this morning, I would like to just simply tell you that once again, and you're going to get tired of me of saying this, once again our Lord brings to us a remarkable gospel reading for us to glean so many different messages from it. Sometimes I wonder if, as our Protestant brothers and sisters do, you know, they don't have the richness of the liturgical life that we do. Basically, they gather to hear their preacher, their pastor, preach for an hour. I'm not tempted to preach to all of you this morning for an hour. Don't worry. But a half hour will suffice. But it's, it's, you read a text and you can't, you say there's so much here that you want to share with people. So cutting my intro off, we are met with a ruler of a synagogue. Now put that into today's context, this person was of a social status. He was probably quite wealthy. He was probably for sure known within the community. He was someone that people obviously saw and said, this man is important. And we're told in the story that his 12-year-old daughter is dying. And so he runs to Jesus to ask for help. And on his way, Jesus, in the midst, we're told, there were crowds pushing against him. They knew who Jesus was. They knew the miracles he was doing. His name was known in Jerusalem. And all these crowds start gathering. They're pushing up against him. And as he's walking through the crowd, this one woman who had had an issue of blood, she was hemorrhaging for 12 years, exactly by coincidence, the age of the young girl who was dying. All of the young girl's life, this also woman was suffering from this issue of blood, as we're told. And she said, if I could just grab the end of the, of the clothes of this man, Jesus, if I could just touch the end of his garment, I would be healed. And it says that as soon as she touched, as he walked by the end of his garment, immediately, parachrima is the word in Greek, immediately her flow of blood ceased. And Jesus, as he's walking, being pushed around, stops and says, somebody touched me. And the apostles say, Lord, Lord, hold on. Peter says, there's hundreds and hundreds of people here. Everyone's touching you. He goes, no, I felt the power come out of me. And the woman, not knowing what to do, trembling, it says, comes and confesses what she did and why she did it. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. By this time, though, unfortunately, some of the ruler's servants come running back to Christ, and they say to him, Don't trouble the teacher. Your daughter died. But Jesus, overhearing this, says, Do not fear, 
Only believe. Do not fear. Only believe, and she shall be made well. And they go to the house, and he only takes Peter, James, and John, and the parents, they go into the house, and he says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And there's a word here in Greek that I want to highlight for you. Ke katayelon afton. And katayelon, yelao, for those who know Greek, means I laugh. Anything that has a kata before it means the fullest sense of the, like, cataclysmic weather, Right? Catastrophe is the same root, the kata. The fullness of laughter they poured on Jesus because they knew the girl was dead. They said, what's this guy talking about? She's not dead. Before we see her, she's died. And he says, he dismisses everyone out. And he says, child, arise, taking her by the hand. And the girl immediately came to life. And he says, get her some food to eat, and she had to eat. Just a side note for those of us who may have had the curiosity to think, where does the soul go after we die? It just goes into nothingness. And after we die, we just go into nothingness. Nothing exists after. Well, if there is, as a side note, any proof that the soul does not go into nothingness, but that the soul is precious before God, and God has the power to bring the soul back into a child, or into an adult for that matter, we will get to that in a second, here is the proof. So we don't believe in reincarnation. You are absolutely unique in how God made you and the soul that he's given to you, and that soul, by his grace, is eternal. So we don't die. In the end of the day, we are immortal, and we live forever in God's kingdom. I think the word that comes to mind for Jarius if any of us have kids, which I assume probably most of us do, when you are at the bedside of a child that's sick, I don't think there's anything more painful than that, especially if a child is dying. You know, if you go to the children's hospital, many a time you'll see parents kneeling at the bedside of their children. Even sometimes priests and pastors are kneeling in prayer at the bedside of children. So the pain that this ruler, this great figure of the synagogue felt, you can imagine how humbled, how helpless he must have felt. All hope is lost. My daughter is dying. And even though I possess all this wealth and all this stature in the community, I have to kneel before this horrible thing that's happening. That's how I think we can begin to come close to what Jairus must have felt. So Jairus, going to Christ, had two things. He had, on the one hand, a profound sense, a profound sense of helplessness. I've exhausted everything. No more hope. I'm helpless. But on the other hand, he had a second thing, which was a profound conviction that this man, Jesus, can do something about that, can change that. Now, what happens in our times, most of the times, friends, is that we only have number one. We only 
seem to feel many times in our life, number one, that is completely helpless. We feel at times in despair, darkness. Some of us deal with depression. It's a lost cause. I can't do anything to get to my kids. They just don't listen to me. I tell them A, they go and do B. It's helpless. It's helpless that my parents or my children are suffering from sicknesses, chronic sicknesses, not only physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. It's helpless. My marriage could never be fixed. This is the helplessness that so many of our people feel today. And they only have the number one. What they fail to do is to look at Jarius and say, wait a minute, how do I connect that helplessness to a source of power, to reverse the helplessness and hopelessness into something more beautiful? How do I link into, and you've heard me say this all the time, how do I get on the Wi-Fi of Jesus Christ? How do I link into that divine power? Now, I did a small little arithmetic. Don't raise your hands. For those of you who might be 70 years old in this church this morning, or older, or younger, 70-year-olds, if you had gone to church every single Sunday from the day you were born until now, you would have attended... 3,640 divine liturgies. Why do I say that? When we're faced out there in the world with all of this hopelessness, it's impossible that if you were to come 3,640 times to church, that you would have ended up in a worse place than in a better place. If we don't connect our lives to the source of power, which is Christ, then for sure, helplessness can dominate us. But I have a statement to make that I hope you will take with you. In every moment of helplessness, this helplessness should lead us always back to Christ, just like it did with Jairus. I'm kneeling in the face of a broken marriage, a divorce, a child that's died. I can't stand up on my feet. But maybe that man over there named Jesus can do something with it. And Jairus expressed his need to the Lord, and Christ's power to heal him goes right to him. And that's why it says in the gospel, and he followed him. Jesus went with him. He said, Lord, don't worry. It's done. It can't be fixed. He said, no, I will go with you. I will go to the bedside of that pain with you, and I will kneel, and I will show you that our prayer, your prayer, Jarius, can even change the plan of God. Sounds crazy. It sounds unbelievable. How can my prayer, Lord, change your plans? But that's what we see in the gospel, because... Christ is never deaf to the cries of someone in pain. 
Now, I know for a fact there are people in this community whose faith has been deeply tested. Actually, some of us have cried at the bedside of many loved ones together. We have witnessed the loss of children yet to even be born, stillborns. We've witnessed accidents. We've witnessed sicknesses that have taken people from us way too fast. And that's a great test. And think of Jerry as he could have said, I asked Jesus first, and what's this woman that butts in and delays him and that my daughter died? How unfair is that? How unjust of God. Time ran out. It's over. That's why I emphasize those words, friends. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid. There is nothing whatsoever that should ever cause us to be afraid. Only believe. There is not a single verse in the entire New Testament in which it says, Christ hurried up. Christ was never in a hurry. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, say to him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. I am the life, I'm the resurrection and the life. He was never in a hurry. They tell him Lazarus is sick. He stays two more days in Bethany before he goes to see him. Right? Why isn't Christ ever in a rush? Because he is in control. We may think we're in control of our lives, but I can guarantee everyone in this church this morning, you cannot add a millisecond to your life, even if you were the ruler of a synagogue or a church or whatever, or some big company. You couldn't add a second to your life. You know why? Because God is in charge. And this should bring us not the fear. This should bring us the peace and say, Lord, whether I live or I die, I'm yours. And whether I live or I die, we know and we believe. We, we're not afraid and we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Because for Jesus, friends, it's never too late. It wasn't too late with Jairus' daughter. It wasn't too late with Lazarus. And it's not too late for you and me. Christ can come. We have to only be not afraid and, not, and have faith. Please hold on to those things so I don't speak and repeat myself. Please not only hold on to number one, which is helplessness, because we're all going to face that. Some of us have already faced it. Some of us are still facing it. But take all of that pain that you have, every single ounce of it, the 70-year-olds, you're better off that you came. Take all of that and bring it to Christ because he is the superpower that will never turn his back and never say to you it's too late. As long as we're on this side of the life and we're breathing and alive, 
we can keep going to him. He never minds. Another message, being interrupted. He could have said, you know, ma'am, I, I have some work to do. I'll come back to you when I'm ready. Not in a rush, doesn't mind being interrupted. God bless us to be the same kind of people too to others. Not to feel, oh, they're interrupting me. They're calling me again. Let us be open like Christ is. Let's bring everything to him because he can resurrect our broken marriages. He can resurrect our broken relationships with our kids, with our siblings, with our brothers and sisters, with the person sitting next to you in church that you can't stand. Don't look at him, right? He can resurrect all of that. He can give back the hope. He can dispel the darkness, right? He can bring help to those in need. Only believe. Only believe. And God can do all things to those who believe and those who keep going to him. May God bless us and keep us always under his grace. Have faith and do not fear anything in this world, friends. If there's anything you're going to leave here today with and hope is that nothing causes Christians to fear. Cast it out once and for all in Christ. Amen.